Amen. I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, and this morning we'll be concluding chapter 12. And so uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll be moving into chapter 13. Uh, And as you're turning there, if uh, if you don't have uh, a Bible this morning, we would encourage you to use one of the Bibles that you'll find in the chair, one of the chairs around you, okay? So there should be a Bible nearby, and uh, you'll find, if you're using that Bible, you'll find our passage on page 959, 959. Uh, I'm going to read for us verses 12 uh, to the end of, uh, from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, and then we'll focus this morning on verses 27 to 31. This is Paul writing. He writes in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, or administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the privilege to worship you. And Lord, we pray now that as we worship you by submitting ourselves to the hearing of your word, we pray that you would wash and cleanse all that we do now by the blood of your son, Jesus. 
that it might be an acceptable sacrifice to you. That you might be pleased in what we do in these moments. And Father, we pray that you might not only be pleased with what we do in these moments, but that you would use these moments to change us, to be individually the people that you would have us to be, and corporately to be the church that you would have us to be. So Father, help us in this time. Give us grace to worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we have seen that in chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches us that God empowers his church so that the church possesses abilities energized by the Spirit to spiritually help and encourage others. These empowerments or these abilities are gifts. They are spiritual gifts. And as Paul speaks about these spiritual gifts, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, why is it that Paul does not want us to be uninformed about these spiritual gifts, these abilities, these empowerments that are given to us by the Spirit to bless others? Well, at least one reason why Paul does not want us to be uninformed is because these are good gifts. Good gifts given by a good father to his children. You know, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, perhaps you're here this morning and you have not yet trusted in Christ, I want to encourage you this morning that you should care about spiritual gifts. And one of the reasons why you should care about spiritual gifts is because it may very well be, and it probably will be, through the spiritual gifts of God's people that you will come to experience a relationship with God. That's a remarkable thing to consider, isn't it? You say, well, what do you mean by that? It's through spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts of God's people that I'll come to know and have a relationship with God. Well, it may very well be through the gift of hospitality that you experience through Christ's church, the welcoming grace of God. It may be through the gift of teaching and preaching that you are captured by the reality of who God is. It may be through the gift of evangelism that someone shares with you the gospel and you are struck and and cut to the heart for your need for Jesus and you trust in him by faith. You see, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you should care about spiritual gifts because if you come to know the redeeming, saving grace and love of God through faith in Jesus, it will most likely come to you by the people of God being empowered by the Spirit of God to exercise gifts towards you in grace. That's a remarkable thing. And the reality is that almost everybody in this room this morning that's come to faith in Christ, you came to faith in Christ because God gave, at least in part, because God gave certain gifts to his church, and in love those gifts were ministered to you, and it was through those gifts that you knew the love and the truth of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're a believer... It's important that you care about and you consider spiritual gifts because it is through spiritual gifts 
That God will minister to your own soul. That he'll sustain you and encourage you in your faith. And spiritual gifts are key to your own spiritual growth and health. It may be through the gift of encouragement that you are sustained through a season of trial. It may be through the gift of prophecy that a word of conviction is spoken to you and you are, you're convicted of your own sin and you're delivered from a besetting vice in your life. It may be through the gift of mercy that you know the compassion of God in the midst of suffering. And so why should we care about these gifts, whether we're not yet a Christian or we have been a believer for many years? Because these gifts are good gifts. And our intentionality to pursue these gifts in our own lives and to position ourselves to receive these gifts from others will largely determine how much progress we make in our spiritual journey. So as Paul concludes his thoughts on spiritual gifts here in chapter 12... We will notice that Paul gets very personal and also practical. And as he does so, we will see this morning in our text that he teaches us about the believer's relationship to spiritual gifts. The believer's relationship to spiritual gifts. And so I want us to consider three principles from our passage this morning as it relates to the believer's relationship to spiritual gifts. First, you possess a gift. Secondly, you don't possess all the gifts. And third, you should desire the higher gifts. Okay, so those are the three principles we're going to consider this morning. First of all, you possess a gift. Look there in verses 27 to 28 and we read these words. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, in chapter 12, we've already seen that Paul says spiritual gifts are to be used in the context of the local church, and they are to be used for the benefit of the local church. And to make this point, Paul has used this analogy between our human bodies and the church. Uh, Just as when it comes to our physical bodies, there is one body, and our body has many members, So in the church, there is one body, and that body of believers is made up of many individual members. But then in verse 27 here, we see that Paul takes that general principle. So Paul's been speaking about this generally, that the church of Jesus Christ is like a body. It has members, but it's one body. He's been speaking about this concept generally. And we see in verse 27 that Paul takes this general principle and applies it directly to the church in Corinth. He says in verse 27, now you, speaking to the church there, now you are the body of Christ. And we should just pause for a moment and recognize that that is quite a powerful statement. You know, there are various groups that many people take pride in identifying with. So so Penn State, actually, the university, they had this chant, we are Penn State, which is an expression of pride for faculty and alumni and students that that they identify with that university. Or some some might say, you know, we are Americans, a sense of pride with the history and tradition and values of this country. Michael Jackson had a famous song years ago, We Are the World, which in itself was a statement of pride in terms of identifying with the commonality that we share as humanity. 
But my friends, let me ask you a question. Is there any greater accolade that any of us could receive than to be declared the body of Christ? You are the body of Christ. And that means that we are the people of the crucified, resurrected, living, and reigning Christ. He identifies himself with us, and we are his people. What a remarkable and powerful statement that Paul speaks to the church in Corinth. You are the body of Christ, the people of God. But then in verse 28, Paul goes on to identify the various roles and giftings that each member in that body might receive. Now, as before we look at this list here of, of gifts and offices and, 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 and uh, so forth, I want us to consider a few general observations about the list as a whole. One thing that we notice here as Paul starts in verse 28 and gives, these list of, uh, gives this list of gifts, the first thing we notice is that this list is representative, but it's not exhaustive. It's representative, but not exhaustive. Now, this is apparent when we compare verse 28 to earlier verses, verses 8 through 10 in chapter 12, where there's a list of spiritual gifts there. And we could compare these two lists to other lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And we know that not one of those individual lists of gifts is intended to be comprehensive because when we compare them, we recognize that some of the gifts are repeated and some of the gifts are mentioned one time and then never mentioned again. And so each of these lists are intended to be representative but not comprehensive. These are not all the gifts that God has given to his church, but these are a sampling. A second general observation that we make about the list is that there's some hierarchy to the list. You notice in verse 28, Paul starts by enumerating the the gifts that God has given to his church. He says, first, second, third, then. So, So this would indicate some type of ranking. Now, we don't want to get too rigid as it relates to this ranking because we see here in this list, this is interesting, we see here in verse 28 that miracles are listed before the gift of healings. Whereas if you go up earlier in the chapter, verses 7 to 10, you will see that gifts of healings are listed before miracles. So it seems that Paul views these gifts uh, as very similar. And, And there's not much distinction, at least in terms of importance and significance. So there's ranking, but we don't want to get too rigid in that regard. The third general observation is this, that tongues are listed last. Tongues are listed last. Now, we will come back to this, especially when we get into chapter 14, but the gift of tongues was the one issue that was causing so much problems in the church in Corinth. And it's noteworthy that in both of the lists that Paul gives regarding spiritual gifts, tongues is listed last in both of those gifts, or both of those lists, I'm sorry. So those are just some general observations. They're representative, uh, but not comprehensive. Uh, There's a hierarchy, some type of hierarchy, as it relates to this list, and then tongues are listed last. Now, let's look at each one of the gifts individually. As we look at the first three, we notice that all three of these are offices of the Word. All three of these offices are responsibility for handling the Word of God. So you see first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. All of these are individuals who are responsible for communicating and handling God's Word. Now just a quick word about apostles. We do need to make a distinction here. 
And I would say that as God has gifted the church with apostles, there are, you might say, apostles with a capital A, and there are apostles with a lowercase a. And this is an important distinction. Apostles with a capital A would especially refer to the 12 disciples of Jesus plus the Apostle Paul. There seems, though, in the New Testament that there was a broader group of folks that were identified with apostles, but they were distinct from those, that original group. The original group, the 12 disciples and Paul, uh, all saw the resurrected Christ, and they were specifically commissioned by Jesus to proclaim his message and to preserve, preserve that message for us in Scripture. And so they are unique in that sense. The next office there you see is the office of prophets, and we're going to hold off on defining that because in chapter 14, Paul deals with that at length. Then next is teachers. Now, this would be those who faithfully interpret and communicate and apply God's word to God's people. Then you notice there's the gift of miracles and the gift of healings. And I mentioned this before, but in verses 7 through 10, these are also listed right beside each other, although they're reversed. And so these two gifts are closely associated with one another, and I said a good bit about that in an earlier sermon. Next is the gift of helping. Now, this is a broad and wonderful category. Paul says that one of the gifts that God has given to the church is the gift of helping. And this would include helping with the elderly. This would include helping with the poor. This would include helping and setting up the Lord's Supper and serving the Lord's Supper. This would include helping and um, setting up baptism and helping administer the ordinance of baptism. This would include helping with hospitality or helping with clerical uh, tasks in the church or helping with manual labor. I mean, this is such a wonderful and broad category. And Paul says that there are certain individuals within the church who have a particular love for and are particularly good at helping, at serving in this way. And this is a gift to the church. Next is the gift of administrating, which actually is a little bit misleading because actually the word here that's translated administrating in the ESV uh, is related to the idea of steering or piloting a ship. It's more akin to the idea of leadership. And so what Paul is saying here is that there are some within the church who are gifted to pilot the people of God through calm waters as well as through treacherous seas. And then the final and last gift is various kinds of tongues. And again, we'll speak more about that in chapter 14 because Paul deals with it in length there. So these are are a a smattering of gifts that God has graciously granted to the church and given to the church. Uh, But it's so important as we think about these individual gifts not to miss what we might say is the larger point that Paul is making in verse 28 when he says that it is God, you see it there in in verse 28, it is God who appoints each of these gifts to the individual members of the church. Now, this was especially important, especially given in the context that Paul was writing, especially given the envy and the, and the pride and the rivalry that was taking place in the church in Corinth. Because listen, and Paul stresses, we'll see this in a moment, Paul stresses this point over and over again in chapter 12. Because when it comes to offices in the church, or when it comes to ministry roles in the church, or when it comes to spiritual gifting in the church, there's always the temptation to compare ourselves with others. And when we do so, it rarely results in good things. 
You remember earlier in the chapter, Paul talks about the, the foot and the hand and the tension that's between the two and, and, and the foot is comparing himself to the hand. The foot's all bent out of shape because the foot's thinking, you know, I have the responsibility of bearing the whole weight of the body and I don't get any appreciation. I don't get any attention. But the hand, look, he's, he's shaken and he's kissed and he's held and he's, and all these different things. And the hand gets so much notoriety and so much attention and I'm so forsaken and neglected. And there's jealousy and rivalry between the two. And one of the ways that Paul deals with this type of rivalry and tension within the body of Christ is to remind the Corinthians over and over and over again that God has appointed the individual gifts to the body as he chooses. That God is sovereign in the distribution of gifts. Look back in chapter 12, verse 6, and we read these words. Paul says, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Or chapter 12, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Or chapter 12, verse 18, but, it is, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Chapter 12, verse 28, which we're looking at this morning, and God has appointed, and then he mentions the various gifts. Here's the point that Paul is making. The infinite God of, of wisdom and grace who determined to sacrifice his son so that you might be declared a member, a an individual member of the body of Christ, that same God who loved you and gave his son for you and redeemed you by his grace, it is he who is apportioned to you your individual place and role and gifting in the body of Christ. And you can trust him. You can trust him with what he has given you. You know, it's so dangerous to compare ourselves with others. And, and one of the reasons why it's so dangerous to compare ourselves with others is because when we do so, there tends to be one of two results. If we compare ourselves with others, either we tend to either be prideful or to become discouraged. Isn't that true? When we start comparing ourselves with others, on the one hand, we can become prideful. We think about the analogy before of the hand that says, you know, I'm, I'm sure glad. The hand's thinking to himself, he's looking at the foot, and he says, you know, I'm sure glad I'm not a foot. I mean, I have far more capabilities than a foot. That just really wouldn't fit me well, right? And when we do that, what are we saying? We're in some sense taking credit for the giftings or the abilities or the opportunities that we have. But do you know what spiritual gifts are? They are gifts, Right? That's the whole point. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. It's not something that you worked for and then you obtained. It was given to you by grace. It's a gift. That's why Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, which seemed to be so arrogant and prideful, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see what Paul is saying? Everything you have is a gift. 
Everything you have, you have received by the grace and mercy of God. There's no place for boasting, but only a joyful reception of God's grace and mercy in your life. If we compare ourselves to others and we're not prideful, on the other hand, we, become, we could become discouraged. So we look at someone else and we see their gifting like the foot, right? He's looking up at the hand and he says, I'll never be like the hand. I'll never get all the attention and all the, uh, and all the accolades that the hand receives. Therefore, I must not have a place. I just think I'll drop out. Now, if you think about your physical body, right, and your foot decides to drop out, you're going to be in a big, big bind, right? And, and that's the whole point of this analogy of the human body. No, the foot can't drop out. The whole operation would be in trouble. We'd be walking with a limp, or worse, we would be immobilized. And Paul is pressing this point that every, every individual member has a significant and crucial part to play. And remember this, if you do tend towards discouragement, perhaps because you feel like I didn't receive the gift I wanted or maybe the gifting I have, I have the gift I want, but it's not in the measure that I wish it was, remember this, that God's perspective on things is often far different than our understanding of things. And in God's economy, it is most often those who serve quietly and unnoticed who receive the greatest and the highest honor. In God's economy, it is often those who serve quietly and unnoticed who receive the greatest esteem. Paul even says in this chapter in verses 24 and 25, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So listen, don't measure the value and the worth of your service by worldly standards. Be faithful to what God has given to you, and God will surely take care of the rest. Each one of us, by the grace and mercy of God, possesses a gift that is to be used for the good of others and God's glory. Now, the second point, and we won't spend as much time on the second and third point, but the second point is you don't possess all the gifts. You don't possess all the gifts. Look there in verse 29 and we read these words. Paul writes, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So these are obviously rhetorical questions, right? And the expected answer to each one of them is no. No, not everyone does not have or possess these gifts. I remember years ago having a conversation with a young man and I don't remember exactly how he stated it, but he said something to the effect that his father was exceptionally gifted, spiritually gifted, and that he possessed all the gifts that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. The gifts of apostleship and a pastor teacher and an evangelist and, uh, and so forth. That he possessed all the gifts of Ephesians chapter 4. Now listen, it is that type of approach to spiritual gifts that is the basis for the attitude that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where some people are saying to the church, I don't need you. And it's just a distorted understanding of spiritual gifts. 
I mean, think about it. Somebody in that position, they're like a church in and of themselves, right? They're like the elder and the pastor and the deacon and the welcoming team and the missions committee. They're like the whole thing, right? It's kind of like First Baptist Church of me, right? It's kind of like the me monster. Some of y'all may know what, what that is referring to. It's kind of like the me monster, the First Baptist Church of me. I'm sure that would be a wonderful place to worship and do community, right? Of course not. This is not the way God has designed the body. No local church should be built around one person because no person possesses all the gifts. And this dramatically, you should understand this, this dramatically informs the way we do ministry here at Crawford Avenue. This is one of the reasons why even right now you'll have the opportunity at the end of this service to sign up for opportunities to serve in the life of the body. Because every gift is significant. Every gift is important because none of us possess all the gifts. There's also another important takeaway, I believe, from this verse that we should just spend a minute or two on here. It's also, to know, it's also important to note from this verse that because no one possesses all the gifts, if you do not possess a particular gift, that does not mean that you lack the presence and power of the Spirit in your life, nor does it mean that you don't possess the Spirit. You know, there are some people who have taught that if one does not speak in tongues, if someone does not have the gift of tongues then that is obviously a sign that they lack the presence and power of the Spirit in their lives or maybe a sign that you don't possess the Spirit at all. But my friends, let me ask you, could Paul have been any clearer in this verse? Paul states here, do all speak in tongues? And the obvious answer is no. Just like we would not expect any Christian to be all of these things, we would not expect every Christian to be an apostle or a prophet or a teacher or a worker of miracles or a healer. We would not expect every Christian to speak in tongues. Rather, what we see Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in other letters that he writes to the church is that the Spirit belongs to every person who has repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. For everyone who has trusted in Christ, they possess the Spirit, and His presence and power is at their disposal. They are availed that presence and power. The third point is this. The third point is this, and this is the final one. You should desire the higher gifts. So everyone has a gift. You don't possess all the gifts. You should desire the higher gifts. Look there in verse 31 and we read these words. But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now we know later on in chapter 14 that Paul goes on to say something very similar. In chapter 14 verse 1, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And at the end of chapter 14, he says something similar. So brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So here Paul is telling the church to earnestly desire the higher, the greater gifts. But in order to understand what Paul's saying here, we also have to recognize that one of Paul's main concerns in in these chapters 
is to help the Corinthians redefine what they consider to be the higher and greater gifts. It seems that the Corinthians believed that the higher and greater gifts were those gifts that were more spectacular, miraculous, unexplainable. And Paul is, is, is challenging the church in Corinth and saying this is a worldly understanding of spiritual gifts. In Paul's mind, and this will become even much more clear in chapter 14, those gifts that are considered to be higher or greater gifts are those gifts which are able to bring the greatest good to the larger body of Christ. Those gifts which build up and edify and encourage the larger body of Christ. We know from Paul's teaching here in these chapters that every gift has meaning and significance. But as a body, we should particularly desire and pray for those gifts that will do the greatest good to the greatest number of people. Now, as Paul is encouraging here to earnestly desire the gifts, and we'll even tell them to pray for certain gifts, some people have said, well, well is this a contradiction here in, this, in these chapters? Because on the one hand, we just saw it over and over again. Paul says, God sovereignly apportions... He chooses to give to the church certain spiritual gifts. He apportions them to individual members. But then on the other hand, Paul says, pray for certain gifts. Well, is that a contradiction? I mean, does God sovereignly give them, or are we to ask for them and then receive them in response to asking? Well, there's no contradiction here, right? In fact, in the Bible, what we see is that the sovereignty of God, God's God's sovereign purpose and rule and reign, is in no way an excuse not to pray, but is a motivation to pray because God has chosen to accomplish his sovereign will and purpose through the prayers of his people. And so the idea is this, that God loves his church and he loves to give good gifts to his church and he sovereignly apportions those gifts to his church. So pray, be encouraged, pray. And it's oftentimes through your prayers that God will accomplish and give to you what he has already sovereignly purposed to do. As we pray for those gifts individually for ourselves, we pray for those gifts as a body. We trust that God is a good God who gives good gifts. And if he gives them, we rejoice. And if he withholds some in our own individual lives or in the church body as a whole, we trust him because we know he is good. One other thing on this point, though, it's interesting because Paul tells the church in Corinth here to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, the greater, the higher gifts. But he opens the letter to 1 Corinthians by saying this to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he says to the church in Corinth, you are not lacking in any gift. Now, that's a remarkable statement. There's all kinds of issues that the church in Corinth has as it relates to spiritual gifts. And they're they're doing certain things wrong and have a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. But Paul, nonetheless, recognizes that this is a church rich in spiritual gifts. They have been given many good gifts from God. So he tells them, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. But then he also tells them in chapter 12, verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So the sense here, it seems, is that they in fact possess these gifts, but the problem is they don't value them. And therefore, they're not being exercised for the benefit of the body. I think this 
reality has implications both for us individually and also for us as a larger church. Because it is possible that, that, the church, that an individual or the church could possess certain gifts, but they don't value them and therefore they go unused. So for an individual, let me say this, that each of us have a responsibility to faithfully steward the gift we have been given. Each of us has a responsibility to faithfully steward the gift we have been given. You know, it's just a a reality of life that, that just because you possess a gift doesn't mean you're good at it, right? I mean, we can all think of like some great athlete that's just dripping with natural talent and ability, but they never realize their potential, right? Perhaps they're like a prima donna. They, they're allergic to hard work, you know, they're not a team player, they don't like to practice, whatever it might be. And people see this, you know, early on when he's, when he's in high school or when he's in college, he just kind of goes out there and he beats everybody, just a natural talent. But eventually what happens, it eventually catches up with him and he never realizes his potential. And it's the same as it relates to spiritual gifts. God has given us certain gifts, but because God has given us gifts, that doesn't mean we can just then be passive. No, this is an active responsibility. That's why Paul, when he writes young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is saying you've been given a gift, but you've got, you, you have a responsibility to fan that gift into flame. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says to young Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul says you need to fan this thing into flame because there is a danger that you can neglect it. So listen, my friends, whatever gifts, whatever opportunities the Lord has given you, Let me encourage you to pray and ask God to help you to use those gifts for his glory. Read books, maybe, that are related to the gifts that you have been given, or go to certain trainings, or or seek out someone that has that gift that you possess, and ask them to disciple you so that you might learn better how to use that gift. And of course, look for opportunities to exercise that gift. Like just get engaged, get involved in the game, and use that gift so that you can learn and grow how to be most, in, in knowing how to be most effective. The second implication is this, is for the, the corporate body as a whole. So, so the implication, one, for the individual, we should steward the gift we've been given. But then the second implication is for us as a church. And this is the implication. And we'll talk about this a lot more when we get to chapter 14, but I just want to introduce this idea here. When we are gathered together for worship, As a church body, we should highlight those gifts which result in the greatest spiritual good for the larger body. When we're gathered together as a church, we should highlight those gifts which result in the greatest spiritual good for the larger body. You know, some churches actually, just like the church in Corinth here in the first century, there are modern day churches as well that tend to highlight and emphasize in corporate gatherings that which is most immediately gratifying or entertaining or sensational. And when that happens, the body as a whole suffers. 
We should not neglect that which is, we should not neglect the greater and higher gifts for that which seems to be more immediately gratifying. Because if we were to commit ourselves to, to those gifts that would do the greatest good for the larger body, if we were to faithfully exercise the, uh, those gifts and commit ourselves to those gifts over the long haul, the church as a whole would benefit greatly and would experience far more spiritual growth and health. Paul will unpack that much more fully in chapter 14. So there it is, three principles as it relates to the believer's relationship to spiritual gifts. First, you possess a gift. Therefore, trust God with the gift he's given you and exercise it for the good of others. Secondly, you don't possess all the gifts. And at least one implication of that truth is that you need the body of Christ. Therefore, invest yourself in a local church. Position yourself to receive the good things that God has for you through his people. Third, you should desire the higher gifts. Make the most of the gifts that God has given you. And then ask God to bless you and to bless our church with all the gifting we need so that we might be of maximum effectiveness for his glory. Let's pray together, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for the opportunity to be members of your body. We thank you for how your body is expressed in local congregations, just like this one here at Crawford Avenue. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand our role and function and gifting and that we would exercise our gifts for your glory. Not only, Lord, would we exercise our gifts for your glory, but Father, then help us to be humble and eager to receive the benefits you have for us through the gifting of others. Lord, we thank you for this tremendous privilege that you have declared over us You are the body of Christ. Help us to understand the significance of that reality and to live it out among one another for your glory. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.